Now, if you would, please, this morning, um, take out your Bible and turn in your Bible to the book of Jonah. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, I'm not sure where I can find the book of Jonah. Well, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, then you have Hosea, Joel, Amos, then you have Obadiah, then you have Jonah, that's where Jonah is, Micah and Nahum, and then you have Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. So, it's there, hiding behind Obadiah just before Micah after Hosea, Joel, and Amos, okay? Now, if you don't have a Bible, you could grab one under the seat in front of you and turn to page 657, and you would find yourself at the book of Jonah. We're going to be studying the book of Jonah, which is one of the most well-known books in the Bible, perhaps the most well-known book in the Old Testament, and it is one of the most controversial books. It is a whale of a book, and it includes a fish story that for many is quite hard to swallow. What's really interesting to me is that there's only three verses in the book of Jonah that mention the fish. Chapter 1, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 10. Only three verses mention the fish. The other 45 tell the real story of the book of Jonah. And what happens is people become so fixated on the three verses that they miss the core messages of the book of Jonah. Jonah is and has been called the reluctant prophet. And we have an opportunity to learn from what he does and to learn from what he fails to do in this little book. I believe that Jonah is very deep, it is very dramatic, and it is very practical, more than worthy of our time. And what I want to do today, this morning, is I want to introduce us to the book. I want us to orient ourselves to the book of Jonah. So we're going to look at five things today five different items. Number one, we're going to look at the background of the book. And then we're going to look at key characters of the book. Then we're going to look at the nature of the book. Then we're going to look at the outline of the book. And then we're going to end up by looking at the value of the book of Jonah. So that's our plan, the background, the key characters, the nature of the book, the outline of the book, and then the value of it. So we're going to have a good time this morning. Let's begin by looking at the background of the book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is what has been called one of the minor prophets. So we're going to start off with a theology Bible question today. And that question is, what is the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet in the Old Testament? What is the difference between them? And does anybody know what the difference is between them? What's the difference between a major one and a minor one? 
I'm sorry, what? Yeah, length, exactly. That's the difference between them. The major prophets are longer, the minor prophets are shorter. So when you talk about major prophets, there are four of them. In fact, this is the way things are laid out in the Old Testament in the English Bible. We have Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. They're the four major prophets because they're long books. And then we have the 12 minor prophets, the shorter of them. And in the Old Testament, originally, these 12 minor prophets were all part of one scroll. And they are placed in our uh, Bibles in order of historical time period. So if you've ever wondered why the order of all of those things, that's the reason why. So you have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah, and they are placed in roughly the 700s B.C. during the time of the Assyrian kingdom that existed next to Israel. And then you have Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, and they occur around the 600s B.C., closer to the time of the emergence of the Babylonian empire or kingdom. And then we end up with Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and they are in the area of the 500s to the 400s B.C., uh, when there is the anticipation of the return from the Babylonian exile. Remember, the two tribes of Judah were carried off into Babylonian exile. So that's why you have the order, if you've ever wondered about the order, and that's why you have these 12 books in a row. It's simply because they're the minor prophets, and they're laid out in some sort of a time frame. So Jonah, if you think about that time frame we laid out, is one of the earlier minor prophets. It occurs in the early to mid-700s B.C. But here's what's fascinating to me about the book of Jonah. It is completely unique among the minor prophets. And the reason why it is completely unique is if you look at the minor prophets, and it's true really of the major prophets, primarily what you find in those books are the prophetic messages of the prophet. What you find are the oracles of God that came through that prophet. What you find are, if we could put it this way, the sermons and the messages of that prophet. But Jonah is unique. In fact, the only oracle of God, the only prophetic message, the only, in essence, sermon that is included in the book of Jonah is found in chapter 3, Verse 4, the second half, where the message of Jonah is, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Go read any of the other prophets, and you're going to see a lot more oracles and communication from God. But here's all we have in the book of Jonah. Eight words in English. Five words in Hebrew. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So what does that tell us about the book of Jonah? Well, the book of Jonah is more about the messenger than it is about the message. It is unique. It is really the story of Jonah himself. 
And if I were going to liken it to a book in the Old Testament, I would probably liken it to the book of Job. Because it's just a story about Job and Job and his friends and processing information and processing their relationship with God. And when you study the book of Job, we learn from the life of Job. When you study the book of Jonah, we learn from the life of Jonah, especially as he is relating to God. So we have an opportunity as we move into a study of the book of Jonah to learn from Jonah, to learn from what he did right. We have an opportunity to learn from Jonah, to learn from what he did wrong. We have an opportunity to get an insight into God through the book of Jonah. We learn a lot about God's character, who God is. We learn a lot about God's heart from the book of Jonah. So we say all of that just to give you a little bit of background as we anticipate moving into a study of the book of Jonah. The second thing we said we wanted to do is we wanted to look at the key characters, key characters in the book. And the first key character obviously is, help me out, Jonah. Okay, very good. And, and you notice that Jonah, if you go back to the very first verse of the book, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. So we have this guy named Jonah who is the son of Amittai. Now, you want to keep your finger here. Turn with me past the Psalms towards the front of your Bible to the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. And in 2 Kings 14, verses 23 to 25, we have the only other Old Testament mention of Jonah. So notice chapter 14, verse 23. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. You might remember that Israel was divided into two kingdoms now. You had the northern kingdom of ten tribes. You had the southern kingdom of two tribes. So it's saying here, in the 15-year reign of Amaziah, who was king of the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, he became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. So that's the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam, who is really Jeroboam II, did evil, verse 24, in the sight of the Lord. As king, he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, his father, which made Israel sin. And he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according, notice this, here's we go, here we go, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which God spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gath-hefer. So what we learn from this reference is that this is happening during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was the king of the northern kingdom and the ten tribes. We learn that Jonah indeed was a prophet, and even though Israel was being unfaithful to God, God was being gracious back to them. And he had spoken through 
Jonah predicting that they would have some of their borders restored, even though they were being rebellious. And that prophecy came through Jonah. Now, what do we learn from all of that? Well, we learn as we look at this first key character that this was no novice. You know, when we, when we see Jonah in the book of Jonah, he's not a novice. He's not a newbie in his walk with God. He is a prophet. He is someone whom God has spoken through and fulfilled prophecies through. He is from Gath Hefer, which interestingly enough was about three miles north of the city of Nazareth where Jesus was born in Galilee. So the first key character in the book is Jonah. A second key character would be Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was located, interestingly enough, in our history here in the United States, in Iraq. And you've maybe heard the, the city of Mosul, M-O-S-U-L, in Iraq. Well, very close to Mosul in Iraq is where Nineveh was located, some 500 miles north and east of Jerusalem. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the Assyrian kingdom. Now, Assyria, if you want some orientation, uh, would take over the territory or envelop the territory today of Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and parts of Turkey. So if you want some orientation to where the Assyrian kingdom was, you think about Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and Turkey. And at the time of Jonah, the Assyrian kingdom had already been a thorn in the flesh of Israel. They had already hassled Israel some in their history. And in fact, at the time of Jonah, the number one enemy uh, of Israel was Assyria with the capital city of Nineveh. And if you go a whole generation later, some, some 100 years later, roughly, or maybe less, it was Assyria who ended up capturing the northern kingdom of Israel and the ten tribes and scattering them out into the world. That's, a, that's an event for later. But as of right now, you have Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and the number one enemy of Israel. And what, it's hard to imagine, you know, um, because we're so far removed from it, uh, Nineveh was the super city of the day. Absolutely the super city of the day. Nineveh was the epitome of security and strength. The city had gigantic walls built on, on solid rock. Now you have to imagine with me what this was like. In Nineveh, they tell us that the walls built on rock were 100 feet high. Now think about that for a minute. You know, that's at least nine stories, I would guess, high. That's how high the walls were around Nineveh. And we are told that the walls were not only that tall, but that they were 50 feet thick. 50 feet, men and women. And in the literature, they would brag that on the top of their wall, they could operate three chariots abreast. It's 
It's almost like being able to drive three cars across the top of the wall. Around that wall were some 1,500 towers, uh, the tallest of them going up 200 feet. Now, you just have to try to imagine what this is like. I mean, you want to talk about security and strength and power. Well, people would look at Nineveh and they would say, there's no way that city could ever fall. You can't tunnel underneath the walls because they're built on rock. They're 100 feet high. They're 50 feet thick. There's towers everywhere from which things could be shot down at people. An incredible city and a key player in this story. And we learn from the very last verse of the book something very interesting. Because God says that in Nineveh, there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. Now, what is he referring to there? If we have someone who doesn't really know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, what, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? I mean, if you've had children, how old were they when they understood they had a left hand and a right hand? We're, we're talking here about babies, very, very young, very young toddlers. I mean, maybe a year, a year and under. So the city had 120,000 infants, if you will. And, and we don't know exactly what the population of Nineveh was, but that would probably mean a minimum of 600,000 people, maybe a million people in the city of Nineveh and in the suburbs of it. Key character in the book. And it's important to understand that the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, uh, the, the Assyrians were an extremely evil and wicked people. They were extremely cruel and violent. And we will learn more in the weeks ahead about that. But frankly, men and women, it will curl your hair when you hear about what they were like how evil and how wicked they were. So you have Jonah as a key character in the book, and then you have Nineveh, but then you also have, of course, the Lord God himself. Plays a key role in the book. And we learn a lot about God's sovereignty, and we learn a lot about God's heart, and we learn a lot about how God works with us and how God relates to us in the book of Jonah. So as we said, we were going to first look at the background of the book today. Then we were going to look at key characters in the book. Then the third thing we wanted to do today is we want to look at the nature of the book. I, I, I no doubt you are aware that there are some people out there in the Christian world who would say of the book of Jonah, this is really not real. This really never happened. And of course, a big influence in concluding that is the fact that of what you have in chapter 1, verse 17, and in chapter 2, verse 10. I mean, a big reason why people say, this isn't real, that never happened, is because of things like verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. 
a, a big fish swallowed them. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Oh, really? Some people say. And then you have chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Yeah, that really happened. That's not a real story, some people say. Being swallowed by a fish, being in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights, being vomited up, can't be real, they would say. There are some people in the Christian world out there who would say of the book of Jonah that it is just a story. It's a parable. It's an allegory. They would say that the book of Jonah is very much like the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. Not a real story, but Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan was a story of intolerance and caring and and so they would say of the book of Jonah, that's what it is. It's just a story. It's, it, it's just a, a, an allegory of intolerance and caring. That's all that it is. There are some out there in the Christian world who would say regarding the book of Jonah is that it is an allegory, yes. It's an allegory of not even related to the northern kingdom, it's an allegory of the southern kingdom of the two tribes of Israel. It, it's an allegory of the Babylonian captivity. It's a picture of that, you see, because when Jonah goes inside the fish, that's a picture of the Babylonian captivity where the two tribes were subsumed into the Babylonian empire and then later on they came back and that's pictured by Jonah being regurgitated up onto the beach, and that's Israel and the two tribes of Judah coming back and returning. So that's what some people would say. Well, what do I say? Well, I believe this is a real life account. And there's at least two reasons why I believe that. The first one is simply that Jonah is a real person. In fact, if you go back and you study the parables that Jesus taught, you will find out that when he was teaching a parable, there were never specific names being used. Like you have the story of the Good Samaritan. There was a certain Samaritan, and then there was, you know, a scribe, and then, there, you know, it's all generalized. You don't have specific names in parables, but we not only have Jonah, his real name, we're even given his father's name. It's a real person who had a real father, who lived a real life. Second reason why I believe it's a real life account is that the Lord Jesus himself corroborated the reality of Jonah. So what we need to do is we need to keep our fingers in Jonah for a moment, and I want you to turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 12. And all we're doing today is orienting ourselves to the book of Jonah. We're just getting ready, getting prepared to learn from this great book. So notice, please, Matthew chapter 12 and I want you to notice verses 39 to 41. So Matthew 12, beginning with verse 39. 
Now, there were some scribes and Pharisees who were questioning Jesus. And he answers and says to them in verse 39, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. Yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In fact, in the parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke in the 11th chapter, it said there, as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man is going to be assigned to this generation. Real story or not, real life account or not. The key question you have to ask is, was Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days or not? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 40? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. As Jonah was, Jesus said, so I am going to be in the grave for three days. And then there will be the resurrection. So if we doubt the reality of Jonah, we need to doubt the reality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you undermine the historicity of one, it reflects on the other because Jesus says, as it happened to Jonah in the fish, so it will happen to me. This is a real life account. And notice, again, when it says in verse 41, and the men of Nineveh, the ones that were back there when this whole story and account of Jonah happened, those people at the ultimate judgment one day, are going to stand up and they're going to condemn those of you, this is what Jesus is saying, who are rejecting me now because they had a whole lot less information and they repented at the preaching of Jonah and here right now standing before you is the Son of God Himself. See what He's saying? He's, this is real. This is not some story. He's saying the actual people then are going to be able to condemn you because you had so much more light, so much more information, and you were face-to-face -face with God Himself. This is a real-life account that we have in our hands. And there are some amazing elements to it. And there are miraculous elements involved, and that's one of the reasons why people want to say, that it's not a real-life account, but just because there are amazing elements, miraculous elements, doesn't mean that it's not a real-life account. Man, there's so much to the book of Jonah. There is a lot of drama in the book of Jonah. You have a great storm, and you have a great fish with an amazing deliverance, and you have a great city with an amazing repentance that takes place. You have things in it... <laughs> like a plant 
and a worm and a scorching hot wind that play key roles in the story. So as we said, we were going to begin by looking at the background of the book, and then we're going to look at some key characters of the book, and then we're going to look at the the nature of the book. And then we said we wanted to look at the outline of the book. So I would encourage you to please grab the blue outline that was tucked into your bulletin this morning. And we want to just simply review through this. We've entitled our study, Jonah, the God of Second Chances. And we're going to see that Jonah is given a second chance in this book, and the city of Nineveh is given a second chance in this book. We've stated that the key verse of the book is chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, Salvation is from the Lord. And Jonah experiences that. And Nineveh experiences that. And then you will notice that you can divide the book around the four chapters. In chapter 1, you have 17 verses. In chapter 2, you have 10 verses. In chapter 3, you have 10 verses. In chapter 4, you have 11 verses. And we can just divide up the book and understand the flow of the book around those four chapters, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. For example, in chapter 1, we have Jonah in the ship fleeing from God. In chapter 2 we have Jonah in the fish praying to God. In chapter 3 we have Jonah in the city proclaiming about God. And then in chapter 4 we have Jonah under the plant learning from God. And if we were going to track Jonah's responses to God in those four chapters, in chapter 1 he's saying, I won't go. In chapter 2, he says, I will go. In chapter 3, he says, I went. And then in chapter 4, he says, I regret going. And then just another way we can look at the book by the chapters. In chapter 1, we have Jonah's rebellion where he disobeys God. In chapter 2, we have Jonah's preservation where he worships God. In chapter 3, we have Jonah's proclamation where he obeys God. And then in chapter 4, we have Jonah's correction where he complains to God. And then if we were going to just look at things from the standpoint of God's will and Jonah's response to that, in chapter 1, we have him ignoring it. In chapter 2, we have him acknowledging it. In chapter 3, we have him performing it. And then in chapter 4, we have him questioning it. And then if we were going to simply look at the outline of the book, we could break it down this way. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we have Jonah's disobedience. In chapter 1, verses 4 to 17, we have God's discipline. That's what God does when we are disobedient. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, we have Jonah's repentance. In chapter 2, verse 10, we have God's deliverance. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we have Jonah's obedience. And then in chapter 3, verses 5 to 9, we have Nineveh's repentance. Chapter 3, verse 10, we have God's mercy. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, we have Jonah's lack of compassion. And then in chapter 
4, verses 4 to 11, we have God's correction, which breaks down into two parts. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, we have an object lesson. And then in chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, we have the ultimate lesson. And if we were going to give a key theme, maybe, to the book, it could be taken from chapter 4, verse 2, the second part, where you have the statement of God, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And that is seen by Jonah, and that is also seen by Nineveh. So, that gives us the basic outline of the book. So we said what we were going to do in our time together today is we were going to start by giving you some background of the book. We we're going to look at the key characters of the book. We were going to look at the nature of the book. We we're going to look at an outline of the book. The fifth thing we want to look at is what I'd like to call the value of the book. Now, a lot of us learn about the book of Jonah, those of us who are around church when we were younger. And um, probably if we were going to you know, summarize what it was about. We would talk about, well, he was eaten by a fish and he came out of the fish and maybe we might know something about Nineveh and preaching at Nineveh, but men and women, I don't think we understand how deep this book is. This is a deep book of Scripture. And uh, we know that Jonah knew God but what I find interesting is that he still had a lot to learn about God. And you know what? We are always enrolled in the school of discipleship. And I know that at least the majority of us who, who, who are here know God. You know God. Many of you personally know Him. But you know what? Even if you know Him and you've known Him for 10 years... We should never stop learning about Him. We are always enrolled in the school of discipleship. We're never too far along spiritually where we cannot gain value and spiritual perspective from a book like Jonah. In fact, I will, I will tell you right now that if you will work your way through this book and hang in there with me, and do some reading and studying on your own, you're going to see yourself in this book. We see ourselves in this book. There is so much that we can learn from this book. Again, we can learn from what Jonah did right. There's lessons there. We can learn from what Jonah did wrong in the book of Jonah. One of the things that he struggles with is with the will of God. You ever struggled with the will of God in your life? He struggled with that. And Jonah had to deal with some things in his life. He had to deal with disobedience in his life. He went through the experience of having some disobedience. He had to wrestle through repentance because of his disobedience. He had to, to wrestle with obeying God when he didn't really want to obey God. You ever had that situation happen in your life? He had to struggle with a lot of attitude issues. Anyone here ever 
Anyone here ever have to struggle with attitude issues? Anyone here ever have to work through some disobedience and some repentance in your relationship with God? There's a lot of great stuff here. And some of us, I don't know all of the stories, but some of us, some of us have had some failures where we've blown it. Some of us may be in a fairly significant way. And one thing you can learn from Jonah is that failure doesn't mean that God is through with you. It's very encouraging to know. Very encouraging to know. He is, as we are going to see, the God of second chances. In this book, God's sovereignty is emphasized. Man, is it emphasized. We see God's power in the realm of nature. We see that He is fully in charge at all levels. We see in this book God's heart revealed. We see God's mercy in the realm of humanity. And as we see God's heart revealed in the book of Jonah, at times we find that Jonah's heart is out of sync with God's. And you know what, men and women? Ours gets that way too. And I think one of the things as we go through this study it would be good to be asking is where, where is my heart out of sync with God? Be a good, good perspective, good question to ask. We have an exciting study ahead of us. It's going to be fun. Now I want to talk about, as we come away from our orientation of the book of Jonah today, some life response that we can have. Some steps, life steps that we can take. And I, they're built around three words. Read, mark, and summarize. Okay? I want you to be thinking about that as you go into this week. I want you to read, mark, and summarize. What do I mean by that? Well, number one, I would encourage you to read the book of Jonah three times before next Sunday. It's just 45 verses. So read it three times before next week. You'll get more out of it that way. Second life response step would be to mark down as you read through the book three times in the next week I want you to mark down every indicator that you see of the sovereignty of God and of the heart of God as you're reading through it just take those two categories and say sovereignty of God and heart of God and I want you to write down any references you see to those things in those 45 verses and then the other life step which to me is going to be a little bit of fun for us to do, just a little fun, is I want you to take chapter 1 and summarize chapter 1 in three words. Okay? Just for the fun of it. Nothing more than that. 
Just take chapter 1 and summarize it into three words, and we'll try to hear what some of those are as we come together next week. God is going to do great things. God wants to teach us things as we study the book of Jonah and learn freshly about the God of second chances. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again so much for the opportunity that we have to take the living book, the Bible, into our hands. And we know that you're going to use this book to teach us and to change us. And we would pray that that would happen, Lord. We look forward to what you're going to show us, what you're going to teach us, how you're going to change our perspective. And to me, I find it fascinating, God, that we're able to take someone who lived back in the 700s B.C. and learn from him in the 21st century. It's just amazing. It's awesome. We look forward to what you're going to do, and we, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.